Thanks. <laughs> Welcome to the Caspian Podcast, the podcast of the Caspian Post with me, Mark Elliott. So hello and welcome once again to the Caspian Podcast with me, Mark Elliott. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to meet a Polina Desiatnichenko. Um, uh, Polina is is born in Ukraine. At age nine, she moved to uh, Canada. She's an ethnomusicologist focused on the creativity of Azerbaijani Mugam. Uh, she started, studied at Toronto and then Harvard and has lived in Baku. Um, but now she's uh, currently turning her PhD thesis into uh, on Mugam into a book, while at the same time teaching ethnomusicology at the prestigious Waseda University in Tokyo. So, well, we're across the world from each other, but welcome, Polina. How lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very glad to be part of it. Now, you may be wondering, viewers, what it is that she's holding there with all those keys and, and the. Now, um, that uh, tell us, tell us what what it is. You, what is your instrument there, Polina? So this is the Azerbaijani tar. It's a string instrument. It has eleven strings, so lots of strings. Eleven um, strings. No. Yeah, yeah but no. actually, a lot of them are doubled, so it's not like they're. They're in, in pairs. And um, this is the kind of main instrument in one of the main instruments in, in Azerbaijan. It is used to play the Azerbaijani classical modal music called Muham. And this is what um, I have been doing my research on and learning how to play on this instrument. Now, can you lift it up a little bit? Because um, what's interesting to me is, is that strange sort of um double shape of the of the uh, the sound box the resonators yes so there there are two bellies uh and um this is from mulberry wood actually that uh, is usually seasoned for about 10 to 15 years so quite a long time it's a very lengthy process and the membrane here this is um, made from a tissue um of the heart that belongs to an ox so it's actually, yeah, it's it's quite. Uh, um, so, so you're saying that's from ox heart that they they yeah. somehow take the membrane from the heart. Gracious yeah. me! Yeah. Wow. Now another thing that I'd heard, and I'm not sure. I'm trying to see on there the the frets. I heard that those are actually made from some kind of gut. Is that right? Or, or the, or yes, they are. Yes, they are. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And and. Is it true that they're movable so that you can sort of change the tones? Yes, they're movable and a lot of musicians do change the tones because depending on what music they're playing, some of them can play Western music on the tar. So that's the one thing that really interested me is that this instrument, you can play both Western classical compositions, for example, Schubert, and uh, you can also play traditional Azerbaijani music, Mugam, that has all of these microtones. And so the moving of the frets becomes important to sort of switch between these different uh, traditions. Wow. Yeah, that, mm. that is quite something. How, how do you ever do that? Or is this that, that, that requires sort of centuries of mastery to do? Well, actually, um, I took lessons from a number of teachers and uh, 
uh, a lot of these uh, music teachers, they have their also their own views on how the music should be and how the frets should be. So <laughs> sometimes I would go for a lesson and one teacher would say, no, 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 this is not the right way. And he would move the, the frets. And then <laughs> the next day I would go to a different teacher and he would say, no, 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 what did you do? And he would move them another way. So it's constantly, yeah, we have to always move these frets, especially if taking lessons from different teachers and trying out different styles. Yeah. Well, so, so at this point, I do have to ask you, uh, why, as a Ukrainian stroke Canadian, did you land on the whole idea of, of playing the tar and, and learning about Mugam? What, what led you in that direction? Um, so I actually was taking piano lessons in Toronto and my teacher, Maya Jafaraba, she is Azerbaijani. And she's the first one who introduced me to Azerbaijani music but it was on the piano. It was uh, masterpieces of uh, composers such as Vagif uh, Mustafa Zadeh and Garagaraev. And um, I was really interested in Azerbaijani music. And then I began to be involved in all of the various events that were happening in Toronto by the organized by the diaspora, the Azerbaijani diaspora. And I met uh, one musician from Azerbaijan whose name is Ismail Gajib, and he was a conductor of an uh, on chamber orchestra called Silk Road Chamber Orchestra of Canada. Mm. And I got to perform with them playing the piano. And once he invited a Mugam trio from Azerbaijan and we were performing together. So I got to hear Mugam, I got to perform with them and I was just mesmerized by the sound of Azerbaijani music, by this instrument. And at the same time, I was also starting my PhD in ethnomusicology. And I was curious about the, the role of music for humanity, asking questions such as, you know, why do we have music everywhere? Why are, what is the role of music for humans? Why is it always connected to these very powerful emotional, spiritual experiences in the world everywhere? And it's one thing to read about this uh, as a scholar, but it's another thing to get to experience it, you know. And when I started to perform with this Silk Road Chamber Orchestra and I heard the tar and I heard Mugam and I was in this moment of performance and seeing this incredible, powerful uh, influence that this music had on the listeners and also performing myself, it just... Um, it was amazing. And so I decided to focus on Azerbaijani well, music. I mean, I, so I think um, this is where we, we need to hear, you know, as you say, it, it, talking about it is one thing. Um, now, you, you very kindly suggested that you might be able to sort of walk us through a little bit of some of the techniques. Now, first of all, let's before we start, like Mugam, what, how would we, very briefly, is it mm. true to say that it's mixture of of both very traditional and yet somehow um you make it up as you go along as well so there's a sort of like a jazz element and yet a very classical element um maybe you could probably say this much better than i can <laughs> so there is this um yes it's this there is this model that exists in mugam uh the standardized kind of system and this is what is learned and then as one is performing, of course, this model has to be varied and there has to be improvisation. And this depends on the kinds of audience that is there to listen and also on this vibe, you know, between the performer and the audience. So there has to be a lot of creativity and flexibility as well and uh, variation of the model. 
So yeah, it's kind of like jazz. That's a good comparison. Right. So yeah. So 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 that that must make it incredibly hard to learn because you've got to learn a great sort of uh, centuries worth of knowledge and yet still be flexible enough to improvise. Yes. Um, I actually cannot improvise yet. I can just kind of fake it <laughs> because um, it takes very long time it takes maybe some people say 20 years to actually begin to improvise and find your own style because uh, you have to learn the whole repertoire and also there are different lineages so different schools of playing that have to be learned and one also has to listen to recordings from the past and sort of accumulate all of this musical material and then it kind of, it seems to happen on a more subconscious level, this improvisation. Mm. So um, I'm not there yet, but I can sort of pretend I am. <laughs> yeah. right. so, so now if you, you, you said that you might be able to like play a little piece for us, but, but breaking it up to, to tell us what you're doing. Um, yes. So, so what, first of all, what is it that you're, proposing to show us what 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 is the name of the piece is there a name or is it just your own creation this is a mugam called shur so the mugam is the modal classical music of azerbaijan and this is one uh, type of mugam called shur which means inspiration it has this affect of inspiration to it and um, there are seven major mugams in Azerbaijani music, and this is just one of them. So it's like, a, it's like you can think of it as an arrangement of pitches, but it has its own melodies and also affects and Okay, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, um, super. Now, you have, you have mentioned to me that, uh, and the, the, the listeners need to know that the, the, just the art of of tuning this instrument can take half an hour. So we, we um, but you, you've got it as, as much as we can without without spending hours retuning. So the listeners can understand that. Okay, hopefully, yeah, it, it gets out of tune very easily. So um, it's a very sensitive instrument and um, hopefully, let me see if it's tuned and then I- Yeah, I sure. Okay, that will do, yes. Okay, so. Okay. So this is Shur, and uh, what happens in Mugam is that it is comprised of phrases. So we can think of it like a, like language, which is comprised of sentences. And there are these phrases, and every single phrase in a Mugam section will end on the same note, which is the central note. So in Shur, the central note is this, this one here. This one. So as I'm playing, you will hear that the music gravitates towards this main tone all the time. And whenever there is a pause or an kind of a ending on a, of a phrase, it will be precisely on this, on this tone. Okay. So what are you doing when you're when you're wobbling? <laughs> That's not you. Just you've not just got some Parkinson's disease. You, what, what, you're doing that deliberately. <laughs> what are you no, no, no. This is called khun. Khun. Um, it's it translates to something like sorrow, 
but it's the shaking of the of the main part of the instrument to produce an echo sound okay. and there are many different ways it can be shaken so so one is is like this and then there's one that like this and there are many different kinds but the the effect is this this amplification of sound to create a kind of echo wow and this is called lal barmak which is when i play a note and then i i just put my finger on this one and you can slightly hear it Oh, yeah, and then you've got, you got a sort of almost bluesy bend in it there as well. Yes, this is a kind of a vibrato. And the bending of pitch. Yeah. But you can hear again that it always stops on this tone. And so when you're doing that bit, you're in that bend, you're between the frets, whereas the actual playing is on the frets. Yes, okay. there are a lot of different decorations that sort of maneuver between these tones and... Uh, such as this one, bending of tones, yes. Hey. this little phrase and vary it a little bit. So this okay. is what is done when one is improvising. Okay, I sort of I sort of follow that. But um, one thing I notice is it all seems to be at the bottom of the, the one or two strings. Do the do the deeper strings not play, or is it? They do. That so this is this is the beginning of this Mugam composition. Okay. And in the beginning, it always starts out quite high. This is a section called Bad which means entrance and this ah. is the beginning of Mugam and it starts higher up and then you will hear now I'm going to descend an octave lower to the to the same tone but here uh, an octave lower and I wanted to say also that uh, it's very difficult to play this instrument precisely because there is this way of playing which involves the plectrum hitting from the like this from the bottom up and also from the top up so those are completely different yeah. ways of hitting the strings and there are different combinations of going up down up down down up down just all of these different combinations and patterns so in this case for example i'm not sure if you can hear but it's it's down it's up down it's a combination of up and down, and that's why it becomes a bit difficult. But 
um, it's always demanded this precision must be there, you know, even though it's so uh, minuscule and just very detailed, but it has to be there. Yeah, and I, I think, I, I, I bet you that, I mean, certainly I had no idea that there was such intricacy to, to the, for the, on the plectrum, for example, and that, that somehow you sort of think about the, the left hand working, but, but there's obviously an enormous amount on the right hand as well. Yeah, yeah, it's both hands. <laughs> yes. Gracious me. Okay, lovely. Let's let's go on. And this thing I did right here, where I go like this. This is called jirmak, which is, means to scratch. And uh, they also say this is like scratching on somebody's heart because, you know, this music is very emotional. Especially emphasize this, this main tone with this also. This is the bass string and it's tuned to the same main tone. This one, it's the same tone. So yeah, it's yeah. always going to end and gravitate here. And um, you also heard these uh, fast different insertions, scalar like passages. And this, this is coming from the mainstream school of playing, which, which was created by one type performer. His name is Hajima Mada. Okay. And uh, that's kind of the mainstream way of playing today because today the performance on the tar is quite virtuosic, but it wasn't like this before. This oh. was uh, an addition during the Soviet uh, the Soviet times. Oh really? Okay. So yeah. so yeah, cuz although it's very traditional, the, the there was a sense in which the Soviet Union did encourage traditional music as a, you know within national groups, I suppose. Yes, 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 yes. And of course, uh, this kind of music was notated and there were ensembles. Uh, it was, there were a lot of reforms, but one change was this addition of uh, virtuosity and it really became kind of a stage phenomenon, whereas before it was more of an intimate, it was more for intimate performances. Oh, okay. So of playing, yeah. Wow, no, that, that is fascinating. Uh, uh, are, are there any more of these techniques you're going to show us or shall... shall... So I wanted to mention, I also, because the, the history of this instrument is so rich, there are different lineages. And one particular lineage that I've been very interested in and I've taken lessons in is the Mansurov lineage. There was a very famous tar performer, Bahram Mansurov, during the Soviet times. And I have been taking lessons with his son, Elhan Mansurov. And this, uh, this style of playing, the Mansurov school, it's more closer to the way that Mugam was performed before the Soviet, uh, before the Soviet changes. So the, the style of tremolo, for example, the, this is a tremolo. Oh yeah, lovely. There's always this element of the tremolo present and there's just different pace to the music. There's not that much this uh, kind of virtuosic scalar pa passages that are added. So it's very different. If you want, I can show the same uh, part of Mugam in this other lineage. 
Well, that'd be fantastic, yeah. Mansurov school of playing. So, I mean, is that um, is that something you had to really seek out, or is, is you know, is there really sort of, I suppose, some various fashions in Mugam that that you know, so that you going back to the old ones can be hard to to find your teachers. Yeah, actually, yes. Not many performers uh, follow the style. It's not the popular one, the Mansurov lineage. And uh, I was very lucky to find this teacher who is the son of Bahram Mansurab and to take lessons with him um, so now, I can learn from the school. Yeah, one of the things that you had touched upon was just how, how different teachers have different styles. But I'm interested how you um, have gone about learning it. How, how does a lesson work? I mean, what, how does that Oh, these lessons are so long. I mean, they're really, because I have taken lessons uh, in Canada playing piano. And I mean, just comparing the lessons of classical music to Western classical music to this Azerbaijani Mugam is just so much difference. Of course, Mugam is also not notated. There is no notation. So it's all about memorizing. And to memorize a phrase, we might have to repeat it as many as 50 times during a lesson and get all of these details in the right place and all of the timing. And it just, it takes a really long time. And also, um, the teachers actually talk more than they um, than they play music because mm. they explain certain meanings that Mugam carries. A lot of my Tar teachers were also experts in poetry, for example, that is sung in Mugam. So they would explain to me some kind of poetical couplet, what it means, and uh, it's kind of it becomes a lesson. Um, a lesson in philosophy and kind of lifestyle <laughs> rather than music. So it's, yeah, because this music does carry this philosophical uh, system and uh, the, the lessons reflect that. So they're very long. Some of my lessons were like four or five hours long. What? Four or and five my, hours? Yes. And my teachers would also teach me how to make special Azerbaijani tea and sort of tell me stories and uh, various different proverbs um so it's really um it's quite yeah so it's almost like having a guru rather than having a having a teacher <laughs> yeah actually i think yes you're right it's like a guru yes yeah and 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 so you you touched on the poetry i, I think that you were you were saying that one of the, your studies is linking mugam music uh, with the ghazal poetry could you what is ghazal poetry for a start for people that don't know um, Ghazal poetry is the classical poetry of Azerbaijan about love. The main topic is love. And it's a short poem that is comprised of about uh, a few couplets. So it's in the form of couplets that have a rhyme. 
in them. And um, yes, so when I was doing my research, I just began to notice that people, the, the things that my teachers were saying, it just seemed like I have to also learn the poetry. <laughs> okay. Because yeah, it was it was a new challenge for me. But you know, they say things like mugam. Uh, there is no mugam without words, and by words they mean the po poetical text. Even in instrumental playing, so what I was playing even right now, there are all of these elements uh, from poetry, such as the structure of the phrases. And uh, they say that the meanings that the music carries are also same as, as those found in the poetry. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, I had, to, yes, I, I also took some lessons in the Ghazal poetry. And um, there is, what I heard a lot is that there are these particular gatherings that take place, poetical gatherings, and they take place outside of Baku in the suburban villages surrounding Baku. Mm, places like Mashtaga. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mashtara, yes. Yeah. And Hofsan also. And so uh, these seem mysterious to me because um, I just, they, I didn't see them happening in Baku. But my teachers were telling me that to, to learn Mugam, to know about the history of Mugam, you have to go there as well and you have to be present. <laughs> so one day I just got on a taxi and I took my friend with me and we went to one of these, uh, one of these suburban villages and we immediately found uh, these experts in Mugam, in Ghazal poetry, who invited us over and gave us lots of food and explained to us why, why the poetry is so important in Mugam and showed us recordings of Mugam. The thing is that in all of these regions throughout the Soviet era, they had what were known as Mugam weddings. And yeah, and these, were, wed these were weddings, but uh, the main event, the main uh, thing that was happening at these weddings is this music and Mugam stars were invited to perform at these weddings and they could take uh, many days actually throughout many days and they would be performing Mugam and they would be judged by these experts who live there, the, the experts of poetry who would be judging these Mugam, uh, Mugam performers and if they make mistakes and if they're not good then they would just ruin their reputation in the whole of Azerbaijan. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it does it does sound like you the poor old bride and groom get rather sidelined <laughs> actually you know the, um, the reason why they they were able to host these weddings is because they economically they were very well off they were trading carnation with russia these uh, suburban areas yes but Unfortunately, today that's not the case. But back then, they had a lot of money, and they were hosting these really interesting events. And this was known as the Underground uh, Conservatory of Azerbaijan. How amazing! What well, isn't that intriguing? Oh wow! And I, I, now this might be putting you on the spot, but would you have like just a, a couple of phrases of one of those poems that you could, so that people could hear the just the rhythm and the sound of of a poem? Was that being unfair? Yes, I had to memorize quite a few. So my teachers would say, you know, even if you wake up at night you, and I give you a line on the phone of one poem, you have to be able to finish it. So it's like, you know. oh, my Lord, that, yeah, does, yes. that sounds like one hell of a training. OK, so, well, if you could, could give us a, a, ta a taste. 
Yes, um, I'll just maybe speak uh, two couplets of, a, of this one poem by uh, Fizuli, who was a 15th century poet, and he's still being sung in Mugam today. They, they sing his poetry. Nay, kimi herdem kibezmi veslini yad eylerem, ta nefes vardır guru cismimde feryad eylerem. Vehm edip ta salmaya sen mahemettin hiç kim? Kime yetsem zulmü cevründen ona dad eylerem. So eylerem at, <laughs> at the end this is the rhyme that keeps coming back in the poem. Now, okay, f- first little question. Would that, is that, I mean, it's 15th century, would that still make sense in modern Azerbaijani or does that would that sound like sort of Chaucer or Shakespeare is it would it sound a little bit dated yeah, there, there are some words here um that are uh, not anymore used in Azerbaijani some Persian Arabic words hmm. but there are still a lot of Turkic words and I think um it's possible to understand and sort of uh, find your own meaning in this gazal because the whole point is to listen to use your imagination and to find meaning in it Right. Yeah. So again, almost like a mantra. So that, that it's it's as yeah. much the feeling and the sound exactly. of what you're hearing as much as the actual meaning of the words. Exactly. There is a there's actually a meter. It's very musical. There's a meter underlying this this poem, and in this case, it's it's long, short, long, 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 short, long, 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 short, long, 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 short, long. So if you keep this in your mind and I say it, you can hear this meter repeating. And and, and so so just to bring us back to the tar then, so are we saying that these gazelle poems are often used at the same time that you sort of sing them or you play or they or someone speaks the poem and plays the tar or 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 is it just that they have a certain resonance they use a similar meter i'm I'm just trying to work out how they link well it's it's all of those things really because in the performance of mugam there was a singer and the singer called hanende he or she is singing this the same, this kinds of gazals. And then the tar player or the other kemancha player, they have to kind of interact musically and they can take certain um, phrases from the singer and then play them instrumentally. So of course, they the playing on the instruments is intimately tied to the, to the poetry. And uh, as I mentioned, even an instrumental performance without the singing, there's still some elements here in terms of the pace, in terms of the structure of the phrases um, of Mugam that are all linked to the to the poetry. Right. Well, um, th- this has been absolutely fascinating. I did want to ask before we go, um, you've become a little bit of a YouTube star with with this incredible oh, no. video <laughs> of you of you. Uh, I mean. I, I, I I don't even know how you did it, but just for for people who haven't seen it, we'll put a link if we can on 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 the on the website. But um, there's you sitting on the top of one of the Caucasian peaks in the snow, um, <laughs> playing your tar with 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 a, with a sort of large number of accompaniments. Can you? What's the story of that, and how on earth did you get up there? <laughs> so this is a composition that is called Shedrik, and uh, it means little swallow, the the bird. 
And this was a composition that was composed in 1916 in Ukraine based on a Ukrainian folk tune. And it's about a bird who, which flies into a house and um, announces the coming of the new year and wishes for prosperity. So it's quite a famous folk song. That's quite a famous composition. And then it became also famous in the West, which was known as Carol of the Bells. Uh, and used in some movies also. So it's quite a, a known song internationally. And I received a phone call from the Ukrainian embassy um, right around before the, the new year last year. And uh, they proposed to me that we take this piece and we arrange it for Azerbaijani national instruments. And then we create uh, a video and this will be a present a gift from the Ukrainians to the Azerbaijan. Mm, what an original idea. Yeah. I had no idea that this would involve uh, going <laughs> so far what? in the mountains, but um, but of course I agreed. I really, really like this idea. And actually when we got up there, the it was so stunning. I mean, the snow everywhere. And we it was to, about 2,100 meters of altitude near the city of Shamahi, Shamahi in, in uh, Azerbaijan. And um, honestly, I forgot about how cold I was. And I, I was, <laughs> when, then I realized I'm playing without feeling my fingers. My fingers were numb. <laughs> but I was just so inspired by the views and by, we had a very amazing group of musicians who were performing also with me. So um, it was really a great experience. And I think I, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I do have to ask though, I mean, given how easily those those instruments go out of tune was it did you have to mime it and actually play it in the studio or was or is that is that uh, a trade secret but yes yes we, <laughs> we recorded the sound first and then uh, when we were up there we we just sort of pretended like <laughs> well I, I i was going to say I, I would assume you did and did you need a helicopter or something to get up there <laughs> Oh my goodness, no, but the kind of car that took us up there, it was this humongous car with wheels that were just so huge because, and it was dangerous because I couldn't even look outside because there were these cliffs who were just, go and it was icy and snowy. <laughs> well, you've, cer you've, cer you've certainly suffered for your craft in many ways, and that's perhaps the weirdest <laughs> of them all. Uh, Polina, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've been listening to me, uh, Mark Elliott, along with Polina, Desyatnichenko, um, uh, Polina, thank you for joining us. And I think you're going to play us out with a with a, another little tune. Perhaps what 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 were you going to play us out with? Um, I can play the um, Shushanin Daglare. Can I play that? Sure. The well, mountains of Shusha. Okay. <laughs> well, that's very that that's that's very topical, given that it's um, almost exactly <laughs> a, a year ago that Shusha returned. Um, yeah, it's it's a lovely tune, and um, I've I've had some time to practice it. So <laughs> lovely. So thank you very much, and um, uh, enjoy to all, all for all our uh, listeners. Do enjoy um, the the Shusha Mountain. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you.